Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Taylor. Taylor is a second time podcast guest. So if you didn't hear her first interview, you need to check it out because then you'll understand why she's here. Uh, So Taylor (laughs) is the writer and podcaster behind Policy Out Loud. Policy Out Loud is a platform dedicated to helping people understand how policy shapes our everyday lives and world around us. And that is why you're here today. Everything from the price of gas <laughs> to war. Look at, yes, exactly what can be explained by policy. And Taylor is committed to making these complex problems more accessible and understandable from a practical perspective for those of us who want to better understand the complex world we live in, or better yet, for those of us who want to understand how to change it. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me back. That I was telling so wordy, but thank you for having oh, me. Oh no. <laughs> I was telling you it's uh, midterm week for me and um, people literally, this is going to be like a day turnaround. So I'm like, but it's important to talk about this today. We're going to talk about the war in Ukraine. I think a lot of people aren't really paying attention. They know there is a war. They don't know why there's a war. They don't know what's going on with the war. And um, you offered, I posted on social media asking um, for like somebody to, for people to come on either to share their personal story, because maybe they're Ukrainian, they have family in Ukraine, you know, whatever, or as you offered to talk about policy. Um, and I was like, I'm going to see how many people respond before I get back to you, Taylor. But fortunately, I was not overwhelmed because like it's going on now. These are going to be bonus pods. I can't wait a month or or in some change to air these because who the hell is going to know what's going to be happening then, right? It's going to oh it my gosh. drastically change. Oh, it could drastically change. This is a very, like, and it's crazy to me. It's so crazy to, to me to hear that, like, people in the States, um, and for context, I don't live in the States. Um, I live in Europe. Um, and so it's crazy for me to hear that, like, people aren't paying that much attention because it occupies so much of my husband and my brain space given like partially the line of work that we're in but also our proximity to it and it's crazy to me because we are all us included like nobody is going to be exempt from the second and third order effects of what's happening so it is crazy to me to hear that people are not paying attention because i know they're not paying attention and they're about to get on social media and they're about to rip apart the price of gas not understanding that this is attached to war Oh, you don't know? It's it's all Biden's fault over here, the gas, even though gas is up worldwide and gas prices are not dictated by U.S. president. It's all his fault. Did you not realize that, Taylor? (laughs) I know. And you know what? I've got big opinions about politics, too. But when we blame every little cotton picking thing on our president, that is such an excuse. It is such a scapegoat to not be part of the global context that we have the largest fucking footprint in. Yeah, I know that I'm allowed to curse on this. I kind of feel bad about that. But like, it's no. our, we have like the largest fucking footprint and people aren't paying attention. Well, it's like a power that we wield with so many excuses when we just blame it on our leadership. That's just nuts to me. Well, and they seem to have forgotten that in 2008, we had a significant gas crisis as well. I remember I was in college and shit. I was like yep. scrounging for change in my car yep. just to afford it. And yep. guess what? 
there was a Republican in office. So this is not a certain party thing. It's not a party issue. No, this is not a party issue. It's a global issue. Anyway, this is is a global issue. Anyway, (laughs) we are talking about the war in Ukraine, which yes, will affect gas prices even more than inflation already has. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. What? Why? Why? Why did this all start? Because like people don't understand, you know, and then they're like, if Ukraine just didn't try to enter NATO, Russia would never have invaded them. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't know a lot about this, but I know it's far more complex than that. (laughs) So, yeah, so there is a lot of complexity to some of the inner workings of like our foreign policy and who has what footprint where and who's dangling what carrot where. But to put this into the like most simple layman's terms, we're actually going to back this up a little bit because we have to take this actually back to the 90s, put this in like a proper context. So Mm -hmm. back in 1991, Ukraine announced its breakaway from the Soviet Union. And shortly, just months after that, the Soviet Union fell. Um, The years following that for Ukraine were a struggle for the people to establish their economic stability. So those years were just, it was... We're talking poverty, trying to pick themselves back up. That fall was significant for all of the countries that were part of part of the Soviet Union. We then fast forward to 2004, where Viktor Yanukovych, trying to get these names right, um, <laughs> won, won a rigged election. Who does that trigger? Basically, all of our listeners. Um, people took to the streets and they... He, he got pulled back out of office because it was a rigged election, but only to turn back around in 2010 and vote him back into office. Um, his campaign towards presidency in 2010 actually included promises to align Ukraine with the European Union. Um, but in the background, he was actually making, um, he was back channeling with President Putin to establish stronger Eastern alliances. When, when, Yanukovych um, announced that he was no longer going to sign the European Free Trade Agreement. People took to the streets. They were angry because signing onto the EU, opening up that trade represented an economic uptick for them that they had been they had been in a downtick for over a decade. And they wanted this sort of economic freedom. They wanted to grow their economy. It meant not only freedom for them, but it it meant improved education, improved cultural preservation. It meant better jobs. It meant a better future. And so when that was stripped from them, they took to the streets, at which point their government turned um, violent and deadly force against the people. So that was a huge thing that took place. It started in 2013 and ended in 2014. Eventually, Parliament decided that they were going to remove him from office, where he shortly after that fled to Russia because of all of the crimes he had committed against his own people. Opening up that violence just had him fleeing his country. Russia then decided in 2014 that they were going to try to salvage that lost influence in Ukraine by invading Crimea and the Donbas region. So They've now got power over those particular parts of Ukraine. They've claimed that that's theirs because they've got a a shared Russian, European, Soviet history. Throughout these years, now we're going to turn to the West. Throughout these years, NATO has been expanding and it's taken in several previously Soviet countries who have turned westward. Mm. Russia sees this as a threat and Russia sees this as a threat because as people are looking to the West, they're looking towards that 
that freedom, that democracy, they're looking towards that economic uptick, they're looking towards that, that trade, it threatens his, his global footprint. So it not only threatens what he believes is his like kind of right to Russian territory because of their Soviet ties 30 years back, but because if democracy encroaches on his doorstep, if, if democracy continues to push east, it not only threatens the security that he has as a global power, but it also influences Russians who might be crossing into the border saying, wait, what the heck? Why do they have a better economy? Why is their healthcare better? Why are their schools better? And it threatens uptick in his own country, which threatens his power. So it's not only an internal threat, but an external threat for for democracy to be moving eastward. Yeah. And so that is essentially why why this um, why this war has started. He has been saying for years, I don't want to see I don't want to see NATO move east. I don't want to see the EU move east. And it's moving east as as Ukraine has you know, tried to secure that self-determination through alliances, through economy, through um, military power, through establishing relationships with the West, basically Putin saying, oh, no, 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 you're not going to have that. I have a right to influence this territory. We're not having this. It went so far as to invade Ukraine. So... <clears throat> This was these these decisions are the countries like Ukraine's own decisions. These are not because NATO, like some people think NATO or the EU are like, you have to join us. These countries want to join them because yes, they want 100%. that. They want that access. To, like you said, the economic benefit, uh, the security. Right. Because like, now they know if, if Ukraine was part of NATO, everybody would be in this fight right now. Like it wouldn't just right. be sanctions and stuff like, no, but they're, they're not in it because he Ukraine's not part of NATO and they don't want to start World War Three. So they're just exactly. like slowly doing like things to help. But what people don't understand is this is Ukraine's choice to join these things, they're not being forced to join these things. They want to join. And Russia's like, no, because I think you belong to me. Yeah, in layman's terms, yes, that is correct. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of arguments. One of the things that I see a lot of is that people are making arguments that the United States should be held responsible for them wanting to join NATO. Now, there is a there is a, an argument that can be made that the um, money that we have invested in Ukraine has basically sped up their desire to be part of of these democratic countries, to be part of this you know, alliance. Some, that That is a fair argument. However, their participation in NATO, their, particip their participation in the EU is 100% a choice that they're making. We are not holding their hand to the fire. We're not holding a gun to their head saying, you're going to join because we want your land, because we want to butt up on Russia. They're very much looking westward and saying, we want to participate. We see your democracy. We see your economy. We want to be able to secure that right for our people. We want that upward mobility that democracy represents, that these economic structures represent, that trade represents. And so they're looking and saying, we want to participate. And they're actually not being allowed to participate because there are some very strict guidelines that allow people to participate in these um, you know, mass organizations. And Ukraine doesn't actually meet the criteria primarily being that in order to join, you can't 
be in a current conflict, which it is with Russia, but to join NATO, to join the EU, isn't actually a cheap endeavor. NATO, when you participate in NATO, you have to participate in different exercises. You have to host different exercises. Yep. It's actually really expensive for the country. You have, to, you have to basically host Americans and host all the other NATO countries so that you can participate in these very large military exercises. So in order to join, you have to meet certain criteria because basically they want to know that if you're going to join, the, join this like gang of 30 countries, that you are prepared to fiscally participate, that your economy can can participate, that we're not just bringing you in and like protecting your ass when you've got no skin in the game. Yeah. And so they they want in. <laughs> They're actually just, they can't get in yet. So what people might be thinking, like I mentioned, like these countries don't want to start World War III, um, but what can they do to help Ukraine without entering the war? Because this keeps being the, the conversation that comes up, right? People... Some people are like, oh, yeah, we need to protect Ukraine. Some people think we need to enter this shit, which I'm like, how about we not? (laughs) Where other people are like, you know, people over here complaining are like, oh, we should not have cut cut off, you know, Russia oil because now our gas prices are going to go up. Some ridiculous things. So what can other countries do without entering the war? Oh my gosh, I wish your could I wish your listeners could see my face right now because it's like <laughs> telling a whole story and it's so unfortunate they can't see us right now. There's a couple things people can do. Um, first and foremost, I'm gonna touch on the last point you just made. Um, there was so many things wrong with not wanting to stop the gap. Like that to me is just asinine. That I can't even touch that one. But one of the number one things people can do to support Ukrainians is to support the sanctions that the U.S. is imposing on Russia. And that is going to come at the cost of our gas. It's going to be inconvenient. And I am so aware of the second and third order effects that has on people that are living below the poverty line that need to find a way to get to work. I am not insensitive to those second and third order issues. So putting that to the side, supporting these sanctions is really important, even if it comes at a cost to us, because this is what slows down the war. This is what prevents World War III. By making this so expensive, so inconvenient, and so like unified in our effort against Russia, that is what can prevent this from escalating to a point where this spreads into Europe. And I just, I'd like to point out that Russia's actually not very far from the United States. We need to look at the other side of the map where we've got Russia and Alaska, like sitting like 80 kilometers apart from each other. Yeah. Friends, we're not that far. So if you think that you're exempt because of an ocean, you are not exempt because of an ocean. This shit can spread. But a a nation that is backed by its people's support is incredibly threatening to anyone that would threaten that nation in reverse through escalation. So the first thing is like, yeah, it sucks. The gas price situation sucks, but we are very intertwined. And as the country that has the largest economic footprint in the world, we do bear some of the responsibility of participating in the things that risk social justice, that risk um, war crimes, like some of these things, we we can stop that, but it's going to be inconvenient. And anyone who thinks that helping the world isn't going to inconvenience you has like, we got another like fucking 50 years of work ahead of us. So I think that that's the first one is like, accept the role that we play. And yeah, it's going to hurt. And I don't like the gas prices. I just paid for gas in my car today. It was $45 a week ago. It was $80 today and it hurt. It felt like a punch in the face. Um, so that's the first. Um, the second thing is that as of two days ago, we were between 1.7 and 2 million refugees. That is a massive 
migration by way of instability. That's huge. More than half of those refugees that are moving, um, and a refugee is kind of a, I'm using that term very loosely because that has a very specific legal binding when it comes to healthcare and statelessness. But mm -hmm. as we're talking about the migrants that are moving westward because they're evading war, more than half of those are children. Um, when stuff like this happens, the, those who bury the brunt, bear the brunt of what's happening are children. So when we're looking for places that we want to donate, donating to children's organizations um, are is huge because they're going to need things like just basic nutrition. Underwear is a massive issue. It's always a massive issue. Formula. Um, things like tourniquets are have become a really important thing to donate right now. So when we're looking at donating, um, looking at specific items, but most importantly, money. Um, and third, and I thought that this was such an interesting thing, and I am absolutely not encouraging any radicals like get on a plane and go to Ukraine, but Ukraine yeah. is basically taking anybody that wants to hold a gun into their armed forces right now. Mm -hmm. So you can basically like join their voluntary force, be handed a gun and get paid to do so to help protect their you know, their, their autonomy, their country against Russia. So if you want to help in that way, I've talked to a couple of mercenaries. I know people who are talking to mercenaries, like people are moving, people are feeling passionate about this, whether they just kind of want to engage the fight, they're doing it for all the right reasons or just because they like violence. Like there are ways to participate. Um, but I, I think probably the biggest thing is like, you know, pay attention to the to pay attention to the pieces that are moving in the states, like that monetary piece. But also, put your money where your where your values are. There's a lot of people that need help, and Europe doesn't. I mean, Europe has a very strong economy, but that is a massive burden to bear alone. Mm -hmm. And people keep streaming into like out of Ukraine, like every day. Oh yeah, and they're coming on foot. I don't know if people have been seeing the footage. I'm I'm suspecting people aren't, but like you're seeing, like I've seen pictures of like moms with like. AK-47s with a child in their other hand, you're seeing people come on foot who are like 90 years old. Like mm -hmm. it is it, the footage that is coming out of, out of Ukraine is both insane and also very inspiring, but also insane. Like this is going to have some massive second and third order effects that we haven't even calculated out yet. So where could somebody um, locate the kind of organizations you're talking about? Um, in order to be able to donate? Because there's a lot of times when you're Googling on the interwebs, that you'll come across organizations that are complete shit, but you don't know their shit. And so you donate <laughs> and yeah, the money doesn't go, go where you want it to go. Where's the best place for people to look for reputable organizations that are actually boots on the ground helping. So I can go ahead and actually send you after our talk, a couple of okay. links that you can put into the show notes, that would be but great. off, off the top of my head, UNICEF is a great one. Um, mm -hmm. UNICEF has always been very involved with, um, and they've been, they're a very reputable organization. Save the Children is also a very reputable organization. Um, my work history has me very plugged into like children's organizations, but I can certainly kind of plug you in with, um, with a few after. Um, off the top of my head as well, um, the Red Cross is also good. The Red Cross has a lot of red tape because of the type of organization it is in regards to our government structure but they are helping. Um, and so that's also a good place to go, but I'll, I'll also send you some notes after. Yeah, absolutely. Send me some links or anything that you have to be able to connect people with this and, and to understand, I mean, I've been seeing on Twitter, seeing the videos and the pictures, and I listened to a few podcasts who have interviewed people coming out of Ukraine and it is, Oh, 
trying not to cry absolutely heartbreaking to see this and to hear about what they're going through and then russia keeps like agreeing to humanitarian corridors and then like a couple hours later decide to bomb them and shoot people and like people are the war crimes oh the war crimes are insane i mean people don't realize they have bombed hospitals they have bombed schools they have bombed orphanages like they have gone after like the i mean it's just horrible like i saw a video of these nurses that had to take preemie babies into a bomb shelter like i mean people don't realize i had two preemie babies and um where we lived they had uh uh three uh, levels of it. So the the inner level was the babies that are super high risk, right? There was a baby who was right. at like a pound um, hooked up to all of these monitors and IVs and like all these things just to keep the baby alive. And my twin started out there, but like within a day or two moved to the second level, which also are babies who need like a lot of care. They might be in incubators, but like they're, they're, they're okay. They're okay. Um, right. They're going to be okay. These inner babies, like they may not be okay. Um, right. And, and then the third level was like babies who weren't ready to go home yet, but they were able to be like in cribs and stuff like that. They didn't have to be in the isolates and the incubators and have like all these monitors and stuff, but they just weren't to the point where they could be sent home. And people don't realize when you're seeing creamy babies in a bomb shelter, these nurses are having to do extraordinary work to keep them alive like extraordinary yeah. work and so there's there's really bad things going on right now in in russia i think last time i saw was like up to 50 war crimes or some crazy ass shit like it yeah. escalated so fast so um the next thing i wanted to touch on is what is ukraine doing right now like how are they able to sustain this because people thought that they wouldn't last more than a couple of days so this is where this shit gets so inspiring to me like these people these are hardy people who are fighting back and i mean part of it is that they are enlisting anyone that's willing to pick up a gun but i don't know if people are seeing like this is part of the like where i look at this footage and there's days let me tell you i'm gonna go off on my little tangent here for a second there are days where i i live in germany now ukraine is the size of texas it's the size of fucking Texas. So when you add up like Texas and like one other state, I'm not that far. And given that we're active duty military and given what we do, if this shit goes sideways, like we're here. Like, and there are days where I am fucking terrified. Like my stress level, my personal stress level has been through the roof. I'm having to go through like a lot of personal management of what this means for me. But then I turn on the news and I think to myself, A, you got to shut up about that because we got some hardy people who I would be honored for my husband to stand up against. And of which I did be very clear. I do not think that the U S should physically intervene in this because I think that that would escalate to like, like we would see this would escalate really quick. So I do not think that that should be the method, but if this escalates, I look at the Ukrainian people and I think to myself, the fact that you were putting up such a fight with your street weapons. I mean, there was a, there was a headline that came out about um, the Babushka battalion, which is like women over 75 who were like picking up AKs. So that to me is so inspiring. The fact that their leader has not like fled incredibly inspiring. Ooh, there was another I'm story. I'm so that came inspired out. by Zelensky. And he's I cute. am too. <laughs> I am too. And you know what? Like, I know that this guy has not been a perfect leader. I, there's not one out there. 
But let me tell you, this guy went from being a comedian to a president who's like, nope, I'm fucking here. Come get me. Like, I was discussing discussing with my spouse. I don't think in my lifetime that there has been a president of the United States that would do that. Um, Maybe Bush, maybe Bush, like junior, like maybe him. I think of them all, like, he's probably the one that's most likely, but I don't think, I think they would have fled. No, I'm not, that's not a judgment on my part, because I understand for the safety and stability of a country, that might be what they are, their handlers are telling them to do. But damn, I don't think there's a single one that'd be like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) I'm not leaving. No, no. And you know, it's, it's insane to me because he has just like, Ukraine has done one of two things. If they are successful they have taught the world an incredibly valuable lesson. And if they are not successful, they have set an incredible standard for what it means to, to fight for your beliefs and to, to stand with humanity. I mean, it's truly, I was reading a story just the other day where this couple was like, this young couple was like, yeah, we were supposed to get married in May, but we couldn't get married in May. So we decided to get married at the courthouse real quick. And now we're like fighting together. And if that means like the rest of our life is today, then we're doing it together. And if we survive this cool too. So, and I look at that and I'm like, I at 21, 22 was too drunk to think of that. Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> I was too drunk to think about doing that. I there's, so I look at what's happening and their fight is just, it, it is, they should not be having to have this fight. You know, Russia is part of the UN Charter, and the UN Charter observes countries' rights to their self-determination, to have those borders respected. And as they throw their weight around in Ukraine, they are absolutely not observing the charter that they are part of. And these people have been like, nope, we're here for the fight. And that is, it's, they should not be having to do this, but they are doing it with an incredible amount of grace in the face Uh of what they shouldn't be dealing with. (laughs) I have to be honest, I don't think if uh, the United States was invaded that we would come together like that. I'm just going to be honest here. Um, I'm not bashing on Americans, but we can't even come together for the sake of our our own people. And we just have a pissing match over everything of like, you're wrong and I'm right. I swear to God, we'd see people that would like, you know, hook up with the enemy and fight against their own people. Like, I honestly think that's where we're at. You know, we haven't, uh, we, when we got back with the World Trade Centers in 2001, you know, we saw this incredible uptick of nationalism. Yes. And then we saw it a very quick downtick. And, you know, given the nature of how split we are by party lines right now, I certainly have my concerns and I want to remain hopeful that the American people would come together. But we've got plenty of issues that we need to come together on as Mm -hmm. is, and we're failing to do so. And that especially when we look at some of these global issues that we have such a massive footprint on, or just our national issues that happen with contained within our own borders. The fact that we are failing to even observe a unified sense of what is going on Mm -hmm. is very concerning. Yeah. I find that so deeply concerning. And I support them, you know, sending aid to Ukraine. I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying. But the fact that they can, it was bipartisan support for for support to Ukraine, but they can't even come together to do things for their own country is absolutely fucking mind blowing to me. I'm like, you have had like these policies and these different things on the books for months now, years, even over a year. 
and you can't come together for that, but you can come together to support for another country. country. No, no, no. Again, I support their decision to help Ukraine. Absolutely. But it's just, it disgusts me that they can't do that for their own country, but they can do it for another country. That's a valid point. It really is. I mean, it really is a valid point. And it's not an either or thing, right? You can do both. Like, so it's not like you do one or you do the other. And these people are like, America first. And we just have to focus on America and not other countries. Well, we are part of the world. Like, we have to um, interact with other countries. So it can't just be like, America is the best. And let's just focus on us. You can do both. You can focus on us. And you can focus on helping other countries. That's how we work together. That's how we create a more equitable world. But anyways, I could go on about how close <laughs> I am about all of that. So what could this mean for Ukraine in the world overall? So there's kind of two layers to that answer. Are you specifically asking about possible outcomes or are you talking about what this means for the world in terms of like second and third order effects that we're looking at? Or are you asking both? Both. Both. Okay. (laughs) We're going to go with both. So um, we're going to start with what these sort of like second and third order effects are, and then we'll go to outcomes because, you know, that seems like it's the appropriate way to close the chapter. Um, What does this mean for the world? So war is a method of policy. I mean, it is a method of achieving an intended outcome. Is it the one that I think should have happened? No. Do I think that it should be exercised with the amount of regularity that we see here on earth? Also no, no. but it is a method that is used. But this particular route of policy that Russia has pursued and as well as the policies that are being pursued by the other intervening countries by way of all the different ways that we're, you know, sanctioning and participating in this particular thing without trying to escalate into another like multi-country war. going to have some pretty severe second and third order effects. So those include social issues, economic issues, political issues, environmental issues, and infrastructural issues. So each of those could kind of be their own like very pointed conversation. I mean, that could be like an entire podcast, podcast episode. Yeah. Like that could be its own. It's absolutely its own thing. Tune in um, to Taylor's podcast for more. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like you can shoot over to mine and I'm going to talk about that at some point. I'm still gaining my footing with all of that. But um, but the the primary issues that I think people are interested in looking at is what the social issues are going to be. And the first and foremost is what we're looking at in terms of war crimes. Um, these war crimes have devastating psychological effects, not only on the individual, but on the community as a whole. Um, this community is going to face loss of in- infrastructure, loss of that sort of historical narrative that is oftentimes damaged in war. Um, these war crimes include basically everything that we've talked about in terms of how it's targeting schools and hospitals, things are in t- that are entirely illegal on the international stage and just on the moral one. Um, these social issues have the ability to spread into what we're currently seeing, which is migration, but that migration has second and third order effects by um, reducing people's access to health care, affecting gas prices, affecting um, the not only the long-term mental health, but we're looking at education. There's going to be a lot of things that are affected. Families are affected. Um, we're going to be looking at not only displaced children, but children who are now without that family structure, who don't, who no longer have that. When we're looking at that sort of social realm, that's going to have a massive impact. And that kind of loss of heritage and that continuity that countries value so much in bringing up their children 
that can lose a lot of it. And, and that'll also be shaped by what the outcome for this is. Um, economic issues, we've talked about the gas, but the other things that we can fully expect that are gonna be affected in price is also the price of food, all the prices of energy. Now, the U.S. has put like very strict sanctions in place right now, which effectively demonstrate an economic war, which poses this super interesting question of can an economic war stop a physical one? We're about to see how that manifests. This is going to be a really and we there's been times in history where we've seen that demonstrated. But this is going to be one of those times where we're like, what kind of power does that have? Mm-hmm. But stuff like that affects the price of all forms of energy, all forms of gas, food, Um it's probably going to slow down our trade and imported goods. That's all going to have a pretty, we're going to feel this and we're going to feel it for a while. This is a global event. Um, but it, like looking at even what the EU is doing, the EU is a little bit more reliant on Russian um, energy sources. They're looking to entirely stop by the end of this year, whereas the U.S. was able to kind of put a harder stop on it. Um, but we're there. That's that's going to affect. Hopefully it affects their economy. I'm seeing a lot of headlines coming out where now, and I think that the Russian people deserve kind of like a nod here because the Russian people are also protesting this. The Russian Mm -hmm. people don't want this. This is very much like Putin driving this force here um, with a lot of, you know, concerns about his own security. But the the Russian people, there's a lot of people standing up and there's a lot of people in their own country getting thrown into jail um, because they're standing up against this. And I've seen headlines coming out where the Russians are saying that we're being, you know, unjustified in in the punishment that we're receiving and unfortunately while i stand with those who stand in russia against their own government the only way to slow putin is to make this hurt yeah and and to show him that like you're not going to be able to maintain that security if you contain these actions or you continue with these actions um and so there's going to be some of those economic issues that we can expect is going to affect our own bank account um there's going to be, I mean, we're going to be looking at political stability as an issue, and hopefully this remains contained. But if this war spreads, we're, this is going to be like political issues, like on a very global scale, when we're looking at like trust of leadership decisions that are being made, how tax dollars are being spent, whether or not that causes distrust in political regimes. Um, war, and this is kind of, I, I'm bouncing through these really quick, because I know that we try to honor like a 45 minute timeline. So people yeah. might have to like back this up and listen to it again. But um, environmental issues. Now, this is a really interesting one. Environmental issues. Previously, when we've looked at environment, we've looked at how environment shapes war. And there's a really interesting component to what's going on with this particular war and how environment is shaping the war there. But we, especially as we begin to look at what, where our environment's at and how we need to adapt policies for the kind of growing environmental crisis and how that's perpetuating migration, um, war has this really toxic effect on the environment that has only started to be recently studied. When we're, especially when we're starting to have conversations about, wait a second, nuclear power, wait a second, like there's destruction. Like there's a lot of kind of environmental impacts that go into this that will, the the region will face for a long time. Um, So those are kind of what those segments that, I mean, like that is such a brief on what some of those issues can look like. Now outcomes, if we pivot over over to that, there's a few possible outcomes and we're going to have to watch this unfold to, to kind of know what that outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is that Putin could take Ukraine um, and it could, it could remain very contained. Putin takes Ukraine and we can expect that there is going to be a massive push through migration. Now, I think that 
the hope of a people the hope of the people that are migrating right now is that Putin doesn't take Ukraine and that they can migrate back to their land. A lot Mm -hmm. of people right now are fleeing because they don't want to be involved in the violence. They've got children. They don't they're not positioned to participate. But I I imagine the people want to go back to their land. Yeah. Um, But if Putin takes Ukraine, we're looking at a massive migration. This is going to pose a massive kind of juncture of social issues. Um, That would but that would be assuming that like Putin wants to stay in Ukraine. Now, I think Putin probably wants to keep this contained with Ukraine, but um, it it very well could escalate. Um, This could turn into a European war or war with NATO. Now, the way NATO works, if you go to war with NATO, one country, like if if Putin decides that he's going to um, target um, weapons depots in in Poland, he's now gone to war with all, all NATO participatory countries. So that would open it up to basically all of Europe, um, and then uh, the United States. So we would be entering an active war if one NATO country gets targeted. And this is a delicate situation because things can go sideways really quickly. We hope not. We hope not, but it could. Um, uh, Obviously, this could end in diplomacy. It hasn't been working. Even up until, I think today's the 10th, even up until today's efforts, they they haven't been effective, but this could still end in diplomacy. Um, Russia could be in it for a long haul. I mean, we're looking at like a pretty effective insurgency. That's what like Ukraine has been fighting back and they have been fighting back with a gusto that I don't think Putin was prepared for. Oh no, he definitely wasn't prepared for it. No, he definitely wasn't prepared for this. And this very much could turn into his, like some of what we've seen in previous Middle Eastern conflicts. Like this really could turn into like, you're in this for the long haul. The people are not letting up easy. Um, and we could kind of just continue to like sanction funnel money funnel weapons, funnel supplies, and hopefully he can't sustain the long fight. Um, And then there's also the option that like, maybe Russia just gets so pissed off that they oust him out of the seat. Um, Or, you know, there's a mix of all of these options. So it be a lot of things, but we're going to, you know, stay tuned. Well, they are, countries are targeting his handlers, right? His enablers, like Putin's enablers. Um, by shutting down their bank accounts, like taking their yachts, like not allowing them to come to certain places, like telling them to get the fuck out of a country. Like it is hitting them hard. And there's going to be a point where they say like to him, whether he listens or not, like enough's enough. Like you are destroying everything that we have. Like this has to stop. Maybe they won't because apparently it's difficult for them to stand up to him. But I mean, from what I've read, (laughs) I think it was the economist that just put out something that was like basically the way we've approached sanctions, like the oligarchs that have money in the U S like they cannot touch those accounts. And they've even seen like them attempting to take money out of these accounts. And the U S is like, sorry, sucks. Like, yeah, because European countries too. Yeah. Oh yeah. European countries. Like they're just like, nope, not for you. And the way in which we manage our money is kind of the global footprint. Like the, the way in which the U.S. and European unions kind of manage their money creates this global rule. And so there's now all these people who have like kind of shifted their money around that can't have it back. All of those oligarchs who are like, yeah, go for it. They're like, oh, no, my, my bank account got shut down, too. It's so smart. Yeah, so, so smart. 
Um, so as we wrap up the podcast today, because like you said, this could be multiple episodes and I want to encourage people to tune in to your podcast because mine's not about policy, right? I'm, I'm putting this out because I think there needs to be awareness, but I'm not going to continue <laughs> with like yeah. weekly updates because that's not that's not how this podcast rolls. And I think I would have a anarchy on my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want to encourage people to listen to your podcast. So as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Oh boy. Um, well, a couple of things. Um, pay attention. I, I think I said this even on the last episode. Please pay attention. And please stop paying attention to inflammatory shit. And also your Facebook feed is not real news. Um, <laughs> this, this does have the power to affect our lives in a very calculable, tangible way that we are not, we have the, one of the largest footprints on the global stage and we need to take that responsibility seriously. And we cannot do so if we are not paying the fuck attention. So pay mm -hmm. the fuck attention. Um, as the personal plug, my podcast and my blog are both at policy out loud. I do focus on these particular issues and it's my hope to kind of focus on these issues a little bit more intensely, both because I think they're interesting. And because the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of these issues are really unapproachable by use of of language that isn't accessible to a lot of readers who may or may not have different levels of education, may or may not have different backgrounds or interests in this. Um, part of the work that I do is trying to make this these topics that are complex, complicated, and kind of intimidating a little bit more accessible so that people understand how this has a very real impact on their day-to-day -day life, so that people have access to participate in a conversation that has oftentimes belonged to a different quote unquote political crowd. Mm -hmm. um, so as that personal plug, you can kind of join me over there because I love talking about this shit. This shit, I'm quite certain right now, if I went and took a blood pressure test right now, it would be like through the roof because I'm so excited, but that's, that's <laughs> another issue. That's I'll go eat a carrot. It'll be fun. <laughs> you get, you get hyped up about I policy. I get hyped up about stigma. So, like, <laughs> you know what? I'm here for that because those are both really important issues. And you know what? They're not they're not separate. Stigma, no. social issues, policy, they are so in yeah. bed together. So that's I I mean that's why like we can get on this podcast and just be like high blood oh. pressure. I could I geek out. <laughs> like people will get me started talking about it and I just go on and they're just like, holy shit. <laughs> Look at the Pandora's box I just yeah, opened. I'm you like, know you what? have no I'm idea. Don't ask unless you want like this whole spiel about it. I do it to my spouse all the time. He doesn't even ask. And I just go off about it. Oh, I know. I was kind of teasing my husband because I'm like, you haven't listened to my stuff recently. And he's like, I listen to you in the kitchen every fucking day. Why do I need to go listen to the podcast? I already know what's on the podcast. I, I'm going to end up in counseling because of your high blood pressure on these issues. So, I Well, Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.